This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Come on in and stay a while. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. Around these parts, we believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective that we've each gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, and I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the Superfly Space Guy, Mac. Hola, muchachos. The gore lover, Alexis. Hey, everyone. The cowardly creeper, Ryan. Hiya. And last but not least, the Scream Queen, Paris. Get a grip. Now, don't panic, folks, but we do have something a little satanic for you this Halloween episode. Before we break out the candles and pentagrams, though, we have some follow-up. That's right, we do have some follow-up, but the pentagrams and candles are on standby. We recently reviewed a movie called Creepshow from 1982. This was the horror anthology that actually all of us gave a slash. And so we wanted to hear what our friends on social media thought about it. Uh, And we put out a poll, and you guys, this is kind of unprecedented, but it got a 100% on the slash side. Wow. We have such loyal listeners. They're so on the same page as us, you know? Crazy. I f- you know what it is? I feel like it's because it's an anthology, there's something there for everybody to find the good in, you know? Yeah, I mean, really, I, there are some things I didn't like in that movie, and I still couldn't hack it, so. Yeah, like some of it sucks, but some of it's also, like, really fun. So I'm glad it did well in our polls. We also have a comment from Jason on Facebook who said, It's a great, fun movie. Stephen King segment makes me laugh out loud. Um, And I will go on record still as saying that I did not know that that was Stephen King. (laughs) We also have a comment from one of our patrons, Dave, who said, Huge bloody slash from us. A bona fide classic, which I've seen well over a hundred times. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie from 1990, is the unofficial Creepshow 3. And you know, I love that Dave mentioned uh, Tales from the Dark Side as an unofficial Creepshow 3, uh, because we actually have a call in the hacker slash hotline from one of our listeners, Ryan. Hey, Hacker Slash team, this is Ryan. I'm a first-time caller. I just wanted to say good job on the Creepshow review. I'm really interested to see if you guys are also going to review Creepshow 2, because I think that would be a great contrast in the first one and the second one, if anyone has not seen Creepshow 2 yet. has a couple good tales in there and another Stephen King short story, so would love to hear your take on that. Aside from that, the review of The Crate, I don't know if you guys knew, but the actor in it, Fritz Weaver, was also in an anthology series called The Twilight Zone, and he was an actor in a few of those episodes, so I thought it was uh, one thing you guys didn't mention is that he was also an anthology actor, and hope you guys review more anthologies like Creepshow 2 and Tales from the Dark Side. Take care. Shout out to Ryan for calling us. Also, I didn't know that, like, an, an anthology actor would be a thing like a like that's part of his identity so it's cool thanks for sharing that little tidbit with us and ryan thank you so much for pointing that out uh good sir because you just brought back such a fond memory for me that i hadn't really accessed in so many years i used to love watching twilight zone with my grandfather before he passed away visit him in puerto rico we'd spend like the whole day just watching twilight zone I don't recognize this actor from those episodes. I mean, this was a lot when I was a lot younger, but man, that just made my heart so happy. I'm going to rewatch that now. Yeah, I feel like, you know, our goal here is to review every horror movie ever made, and that does include Creepshow 2 and the 
Tales from the Dark Side. I think what's exciting about Ryan's call is that he brought up something that we didn't mention on the pod, and I feel like that's the best way to call into the hotline. Like, if you're listening to this episode today and you're like, oh my gosh, how are they not saying this? Call in, say it, let's listen to it, and we want to hear you. The fact of the matter is, we it's impossible for us to say everything there is to say about these movies. This is a safe space to be heard, and we want you to be heard. Okay, we've gotten real weird here. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I like things, real weird. Okay. And that's our follow-up. Excellent. Well, this time around, we don't have a creep show for you, but we are revisiting the mumble gore subgenre and unpacking a 2009 film that puts a devilish twist on a classic story. Now, we've talked about this in the past, but if you're not familiar with mumble gore horror, it's largely dialogue-driven and puts characters and naturalistic performances front and center, both of which you get in abundance as you follow the story of a young woman accepting a babysitting job in the 1980s for an unfamiliar family in an unfamiliar house on the night of a lunar eclipse. This week, we're talking about The House of the Devil. Now, have any of you seen this prior to this episode? I have, as it turns out. And surprisingly, I completely forgot that I had until I started watching the movie. And I was like, oh, I've totally seen this. I just completely forgot the name of it. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? It feels like not a good sign, to be honest. (laughs) I don't think you can assign it good or bad. I've seen many a movie and sometimes I forget titles. (laughs) I obviously haven't seen this movie, never heard of it, didn't even know there was uh, such a thing as a movie like this that is filmed in a in such a different time setting um, in in this way. Yeah, I had never heard of this before. Although I feel like maybe it was on Netflix or something. Um, and like, it's one of those ones I saw and I was like, yeah, not today. Maybe next, maybe, you know, when you see movies, you're like, I'm going to, wa- I want to watch that just maybe like another time. And that other time never happened until yeah. we were on the podcast. You say not today for the rest of your life. Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I'm team. Haven't seen this before, but I have seen movies like this. Like you were saying, Ryan, uh, movies that have been filmed in modern times, but made to look as if they were filmed in a different time. So I had cautious optimism about this going into it. Ooh, okay. Well, that sounds intriguing. I've seen this movie once before, and looking back on it now, I realize that this was my first experience with Bumble Gore. If you've listened to episode 94 of our show when we were joined by artist and horror filmmaker Anthony Presley, he joined us to review both versions of Suspiria. You are now familiar with the guy who introduced me to this movie, and I'll never forget the first time I saw this movie because he recommended it under a very specific condition. And that condition was no gore. I'll just say this. He was really fucking wrong. (laughs) When I watched this the first time, I was only aware of the title, not the year it was made. So I didn't benefit from the surprise I think a lot of people get from this when they see a 2009 film in 1980s quality. But I was expecting a slow burn. What were you folks expecting? I think I'm along with you. I, I I even texted her group chat and was like, wait, am I watching the same movie? <laughs> like, And I had to go back. I'm like, okay, 2009, 2009, 2009. I was like, I think I'm watching a remake or, you know, the original version of this movie. I can also imagine that'd be super confusing if you're the kind of person who like watches not exactly legit versions of movies. Like you're trying to find this where you don't have to pay for it. That could be really trippy. <laughs> yes, very true. Very true. <laughs> We're all legal here. Okay. We never do something like that, Chris. Yes, of course. I had nothing to expect from this. You know, we've seen the house's October built, um, the house of the devil, like, a lot of houses this month. <laughs> so I was assuming it'd be something very similar with like a doorway to hell in the basement. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's hard to 
look at this title and expect anything other than some Satanism vibes. And um, there's nothing else to to really expect when you're going into this if you're like me and never heard of it. Um, And of course, I did. Alexa spoiled it a little bit for us and said, like, am I watching the right movie? So I kind of wish I didn't know that I was going in watching a movie set in the 80s. But uh, I totally expected things that we love from the 80s done better. And I, I would say in some ways we got that. I'm really sorry about that. I didn't mean to ruin it for you. I still love you. <laughs> what you folks don't realize is that I'm slowly drifting us into us like an HGTV but horror style podcast. I'm just going to be very house centered for the next few months. <laughs> I mean, if we can get some renos happening, okay, I'm all right with it. Amityville Horror is coming up. Ooh. Just kidding. It's not. Which is a reno. Going into this movie, I was aware of like the year it was made and the look they were going for. Uh, so I was kind of expecting something similar to other movies I've seen like this, like The Love Witch comes to mind. I've mentioned that one before on the pod. And also like uh, Grindhouse, the Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, I was expecting like that kind of vibe. But, you know, this one I think stands alone because it does not remind me of the those two movies that I referenced. It does kind of stand alone as one of those movies where I completely remember everything that happens in the movie, but totally forgot the movie title. I didn't look at the, like the cover for it at all the, you know, the, the artwork. I didn't look up the trailer or anything. I just like sat down and hit play and like first scene in, I was like, Oh, I completely remember everything that happens in this movie. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, I, cause I haven't watched it recently. It was a while ago. I think this was actually back in the days where I had like cable television. Maybe when I was watching this, I'm not even sure it's been that long. But it, it stuck with me at least. So as soon as it started to play out, you know, I was just like, oh, I know what's what's going to happen here. Like you like you mentioned, Ryan, you know, I'm expecting to see some satanic stuff going on, especially in this time period. Well, I think they tell you that, too, in the first scene. Well, that's that's true. But this was a this was a big deal back then. So a little satanic panic. I do think it's worth mentioning, Alexis, just like you said, they say it. They're up front. They're not trying to hide anything. Some of these movies we reviewed lately that have a satanic element to it. They kind of try to bury the lead a little bit. And this one's kind of all up in your face about it. I do wonder how differently this movie would feel if you chopped off those opening credits. I would be curious. I kind of want to do like a blind watch a few years from now. It's been about 10 years or so since I've seen this movie. Watching it again, though, I was entertained by it for sure. I more specifically felt myself loving the characters in this movie. Well, I guess really just two of them, but Our main character is extremely likable. And look, the best friend role, I feel like typically in horror, it gets filled by someone who is annoying or semi-grading to the personality, even if they're overall someone you end up rooting for. I think you're going to see that as we get a little bit further now into the Halloween franchise. The best friend in this, though, was exceptional and kind of stole the show for me. You know, Chris, I feel like we don't often uh, agree on many things on this podcast but i feel like we always end up with like the same feeling overall while watching this because i was going to say the exact same thing i love the characters and i was so surprised by how connected i got to them and it's like i don't know a lot of times in this type of setting where it's kind of like one character based i would be like "Eh, i'm over this person like i don't really care they could die it doesn't matter to me (laughs) because i'm a horrible person in that way and it's a movie but I got so connected to the character and obviously our main character mostly. And then also I was a little bit surprised by uh, like the pacing and the overall feeling of the movie, which would be hard to describe without, you know, ruining some fun things. But it, it is very, it was a very like unique watch to me. The pacing is something 
worth noting, I think. It is a, it's kind of a slow burn for a lot of people, but I feel what you get out of it is you know, a film that takes its time with a lot of stuff. And, and some of those moments might be a little bit too long for some people. But when I was watching this, I'm just thinking like, thank goodness they could linger for a second. Because in 2009, that was not the typical act. You know, it was make everything fast paced and make everything, you know, driven around like character to character, you know, relationships. And it's like, no, like you can just take your time with a character standing in a hallway if you want to. So true. I mean, I'm going to say what we're all kind of dancing around. And I was bored for a while. I wasn't bored. I wasn't either. Yeah. But you guys are like saying you could be bored potentially because of the slow burn, quote unquote. No, 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 no. Oh, no. That's not what slow burn means. That means like the story's unraveling and it's taking you along for the ride. Okay. But the first 20 minutes happened. We barely got anything. We got like two pieces of information and a lot of fluff and filler. And I was like, I get what they're going for. Cause like a lot of movies from the eighties were very like this, but I was like, couldn't we also like learn from those mistakes and like maybe avoid making them? Um, because it was a long time before we got any like notable development plot wise or action wise. So Paris drag me. No, I'm not going to drag you because like, like I mentioned, you might find this to be a slow burn for a lot of people. For some people that could mean I'm bored. I need something to happen faster. For other people like me, very big difference. Like this was again someone taking their time, like scene by scene, movement by movement. And to me, that's preferable. And that's what I like a lot of, you know, a lot of older movies took their time with stuff and didn't have to rush through it. So I think that's a good thing. But I know that there are some viewers like yourself who might find that kind of thing boring. All of those adjectives make so much sense to how I feel, but in a different way. Oh, tell me how you feel. Okay. You know how you use these like weird analogies all the time? You haven't used them recently. So I'm going to come back with a bang. (laughs) The only time (laughs) this pacing makes sense is while you're having sex. Hot and heavy in the beginning. You're looking at all the scenes. You're like, wow, look at all of this. This is intense. This is good. Then you're in the middle and you're like, all right, cool. We're doing it. And then you get to the end <laughs> and it's all going crazy, which is great. It, it's great. It makes for great sex. It doesn't make for a great pacing for a movie, in my opinion. Wait, so you literally just came back quite genuinely with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> You come wow. out with a bang. But, I, you know, like, and not to spoil a lot, but a lot happens in the last 30 minutes of this movie. But I feel like that's when you hit your point when you're like, all right, going in for the kill, done with the foreplay, done with all the motion in the ocean. This movie has a lot of foreplay. I just need to quote, it's all going good in the middle of that comparison. <laughs> it's all going good. So speaking of that, what makes the pacing okay in this movie is caring about the character it won't mean anything if you don't care about the person so coming from the good catholic boy background you're describing both things still nope i'm trying to completely leave the previous thing in the behind (laughs) well you're describing a good monogamous experience yes i understand i'm just saying you will definitely find this to be a boring movie if you don't get any connection to the character or have any feelings towards the character because i could easily see myself being bored by all of the normalcy of like the first hour of this movie you have a great point it's a slow burn it's not a bad one in my opinion i don't find a slow burn boring okay alien for example was too slow for me there was a lot of great moments in there but it was just too it dragged too much this movie though 
every moment feels intentional and adds something to the way you feel about the main character. And even the little way things linger with like a handshake or a glance from across the table or like this reaction when someone stands up very suddenly, um, all of it is valuable. And there are two things I think that surprised me. One is a little superficial. I put on this movie and I was reading the description in, in, in my Apple TV and it says, Master of Horror, Ty West. And I'm like, Master of Horror? You call John Carpenter Master of Horror? You call George Romero, Wes Craven? <laughs> this guy has done this movie, which I think bodes well for his reputation. But you know what he else he directed? What? Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. Oh. Yeah, I saw that. And he's been associated with a lot of great things. He's directed a portion of the ABCs of Death. He's uh, directed a portion or one episode of many shows. But this movie is a good one. And then he did he did Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. And I don't see how those two things go together to be master of horror. He's done less than Eli Roth. And I can understand people saying that about Eli Roth as much as I uh, detest his work. Maybe they made him write his own description. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Aspiring master of horror would have been more accurate. But the other thing that surprised me, and I'm done trashing this guy because this movie executes really well. I was surprised about how consistently stellar the cinematography is up until the moment where it feels pretty awful to me. It just felt so, there's a significant moment that feels so out of place compared to the rest of the movie that it left me wanting more in a completely bad way. It did such a good job of nailing the feeling of an 80s movie in so many different ways. So the dialogue obviously is going to be affected by the years since 1980. So while it's not perfect there, it's it's pretty darn good. The characters act in, in solid 80s ways. They say some things to each other. I think that would add up. But the cinematography, like you mentioned, there was like a single shot of a character like leering down into a basement and just the angle of the camera and the way that their face was framed literally could have been from an, from an 80s movie directly, but then it just flowed so well. So yeah, I think they just kind of grabbed the 1980s as a general feeling and just pushed it through into this movie. I feel the same way. I, I think I was just surprised at how detailed it was. And I, I mean, there was a point where I could tell like where Chris was mentioning, it was like complete, like I was like, okay, watching a different movie at this point with a different character, <laughs> like all these sort of things. But I think as I've watched so many, especially recently, and we were talking about Stranger Things, like Stranger Things is one that they do a really great job immersing you back in like the 80s, but they do it like in a nostalgic way. This does it where like you feel like you're watching it. You feel like you're immersed, you know. I know Chris doesn't like us using this word, but the filter, uh, no, I'm not going (laughs) to use that. You mean the film quality? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's just pop this in IG and just slap some noise on it. They pop it in visco but yeah even the film that they're using is very indicative of the 80s and i just like appreciate that so much and i think that's what surprised me i was like wait what when am i watching this when was this filmed on that note it's also cool because this also came before like this romanticism of the 80s that we're in right now that we've been in for a while because 2009 i feel like i mean obviously you know people love the 80s no matter what but it wasn't like it is now so it's like looking back at it it's almost something that you would imagine would come out in like 2020 because i feel like everyone is just dying to be a part of the 80s right now 
Yeah, I can tell you my parents have never stopped romanticizing the 80s. Sounds about right. Yeah, and I think that kind of speaks to what Alexis was saying with how like Stranger Things does it, but in a nostalgic kind of way. I feel like that's where it really became such a, we like the 80s, you guys. Remember the 80s? Huh? As opposed to like, Uh, honoring the 80s more like teenage kids and it's like we're gonna have a 1980s party and they like do their best to like dress the part but like really aren't getting it Mm -hmm. i feel like that's kind of what you get with stranger things whereas this was like you guys have been saying surprisingly authentic um and if we didn't know this was made in 2009 i don't know that many of us would have picked it out one thing that did surprise me was that uh, at the very start of this movie it actually passes the bechdel test you open up with two women just talking about you know renting a new home and you're kind of like okay for somebody who's aware of that thing, I was like, I'm always like, it's in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, that box is checked right off the bat. I wonder if that was on purpose because some movies do do that intentionally. Um, and then specifically, there's a scene that really surprised me. And I think you guys know which one I'm talking about. And I would be surprised if it didn't surprise you as well. So that moment that you're talking about, Paris, and I'm like 99% sure that we're at, at the same point in time here. We gotta be. So Anthony recommended this movie. I had just started dating a woman who was like, I hate horror movies. I can't do gore. Like, I cannot do it. And I had just persuaded her to just try a couple things. Like, we had just worked up to Halloween where there's like a scratch on an arm and very little blood. So he joined us one night. He's like, oh, you got this one. There's no gore. That moment happened. And it was so shocking that she stormed out of the room. And like, I, it took forever for us to start talking again because she thought I was in on it. <laughs> but I will say that it, it wasn't scary, but I could see how that'd be shocking and disturbing to a lot of people. Yeah, that was like a disappointment of mine. It was, I feel like I wish I would have had a more surprising moments. And I know there's it's, uh, some of the gore and we can unpack that um, in the second half, but it's filter. It's put in to certain parts of the movie where they are just stuck. So I wish it was kind of like you know, interwe- interwoven throughout the entire movie because that's my thing. Yeah, you just want more gore. Yeah, They're starting in Act One. If it, if it doesn't open with the bloodbath, I don't want it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> to be fair, instead of the little like excerpts that we get at the beginning of this movie, we could have easily just had a little creepy scene with some gore. You know, it would have been just as a uh, just as impactful. I'm glad that we didn't get that. I I don't think we needed the exposition via text on the screen. Yeah. But I'm glad that it didn't immediately jump into the classic slasher thing, you know, immediately going into a gore fest and then coming back to reality. I'm happy that it took its time because I think that this is going to appeal to people who have a very different type of fear. You know, that satanic panic that happened back then, I think is still alive as an inkling for many people where they're truly concerned that there are people out there practicing evil and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, watching this movie, people could like have that kind of latent fear going on inside and that, that could bring it to life. I mean, I didn't find it scary at all. To me, it was a really interesting drama, but I think a lot of people might, you know, watch this film and then never babysit again. Or clutch their pearls. Yeah, I will agree with you. Like, I mean, I've talked about this a bunch of times. I'm not really a fan of this, like, theme in movies. It doesn't really scare me because I'm not concerned about this part of the world. <laughs> like, whether these type of people exist or don't exist, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I can keep my distance. And um, if I don't, then it's my time. And it is what it is. But it doesn't scare me. Like, it doesn't do anything for me. Notes of when Ryan's time is up. When Satanists are around and they manage to get her, or there's a zombie apocalypse. One or the other. (laughs) Both things that I'm really not afraid of. (laughs) I mean, this definitely scares QAnon, 
they have this entire like process going on where they think that there's a conspiracy by Satan worshiping Democrats that like to have sex with children. Uh, and I don't know if they eat them or something as well. I don't know. There's like this huge conspiracy theory going on. I don't know if you've heard of Q, but definitely don't even jump in if you haven't, because it's a huge waste of time. But there's like massive amount of people who legitimately think a political party in the United States is run by Satan worshiping pedophiles. People also think the earth is flat. So, right. You know, (laughs) it is what it is. Here we are in 2020. I will say I was not afraid during this movie. Um, The moment I mentioned earlier, it definitely got my attention um, and I was shocked. Uh, But then, you know, we get into the more horror elements of the film and I wasn't scared, but I was, you know, a little on edge. I think you definitely have to be like, in that sort of mind frame or in that time, I guess, when it was supposed to be filmed, when it was um, portrayed. I wasn't scared. I wish I was a little bit more, but maybe just because I don't have that context. But I feel like there have been movies that I, I mean, The Omen is kind of scary. Devil's Advocate, The Witch, like all of these sort of satanic, sort of devil-worshipping movies, like they kind of get me usually. I don't know. I guess it just didn't scare me. I wish it did because I feel like it could have those elements. I just don't think it was sprinkled out throughout the movie enough. I think it was just all jam-packed towards the end. For sure, and I, I get that. I think this is another one of those movies where it depends heavily upon your susceptibility to suspense being built and atmosphere being built in a movie. Uh, this movie for sure has a sense of dread that it does really well. I think if you lack a fundamental level of spirituality that you know, it may lend itself to you being highly paranoid or, or afraid of these things legitimately, like there are people who are afraid of possession movies, right? Because in their subconscious, they're like, yeah, I don't like it. I think this is one of those that you're probably okay to watch as long as you can brace for some shocking imagery. And at least it's not a surprise like you know what you're getting kind of pretty much it blatantly by the title for sure you there's definitely a good moment where you can opt right out of this movie if you're not into it and i think when you look at all the satanic panic movies we have when you think about uh, slow burns from the late 70s early 80s this movie is basically a love letter to that and i think it's a movie that possesses an original strategy in part it's a good movie, but realistically, it doesn't jump out as me as special among satanic panic movies. It doesn't make it bad. Like, I'm not selling this movie short. But part of this movie's strength is the fact that it's a celebration of what came before it. And Ty West wasn't the first to do any of it, but he just mixed the right things and did it really well, in my opinion. I love the way you said the it has an original strategy, Chris, because I was wondering how I wanted to articulate this, because it's definitely not anything we haven't seen before. Um, but its approach can definitely be classified as original. Um, ultimately, I feel like even of the the movies that have taken this approach that I've referenced, like uh, Planet Terror, Love Witch, um, even like Stranger Things kind of, I feel like this one has a uniquely original approach in that it really went for authenticity as opposed to like an over-the-top, sometimes like campy or comedic celebration of another time. Uh, so I f- that's why I feel like this one stands out uh, even among those with a similar game plan strategy it's like going to like authentic italian versus olive garden so that's so on point the way way i was thinking about it is you know how there's like modern sneakers that are designed to me to kind of look like 90s trapper keepers and they have like all the same color scheme and stuff like it's got this like polished distilled version of a time and it's all about nostalgia it's all about like the good feelings just kind of wrapped up into one colorway this movie's like hey, Adidas made the shoe 
that they made back in 1985 the exact same way, but with modern materials and kind of modern factory standards and stuff. And, and now it's being reissued. It's like how Igloo, the cooler company, keeps trying to sell me their like classic 90s turquoise and pink cooler on Instagram and Facebook literally every single day for like two years now. I see that ad from like, <laughs> this is our 1994 cooler. It's so cool. It's still full price. Don't you want it? That's exactly what this is. I pretty much agree with what you guys have said. It's not that it like stands out as an original movie. There's some grain of originality to it. It's very difficult. I'm, I'm torn on this question. I don't even know that it maybe it's less original and just more so perfectly executed in what it was trying to do. Yeah. That it's like, like it, it, like it nailed what it sought out to do. Whether or not you like it is a separate story, but technically it executed. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in my notes I put yes with the quality, but and didn't finish my thoughts. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was because I, I like Paris wasn't sure how to like verbalize it um so i think you guys did it well enough oh thank you so much yeah. we're on a podcast i don't know if you know we have a podcast where we talk about movies oh my gosh and sometimes we do it well sometimes <laughs> we don't sometimes <laughs> and sometimes we talk about the ending which i was not a fan of how about you folks really i was, I was actually gonna say speaking of you know being being good at things i actually think they were pretty good at this ending to be clear i think the end end is fucked up and really good i think the pre-end as we Get things popping off. Not a fan of that. It was fucking weird. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I like a conclusive ending. Whether we get this in this movie or not, I cannot tell. So um, I, I don't know. I'm always struggling with I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if I like this. I'm not sure if I don't. But it was hard in this one. I think what we can say. It's a little bit more conclusive than Phantasm. Oh, very, very <laughs> true. For me, whenever we talk about these movies that have like a long buildup or like a slow burn, I always need the ending to make it worthwhile. And this movie actually kind of did it. Like Ryan was saying earlier, when you have all this time to get to know the characters, what happens to them means more to you. Uh, so this ending I actually wasn't mad about. The end end, I was a little kind of like, mm, whatever, it's fine. The movie's over. I'm, I'll take it. But I felt like the climax and the, the, the overall ending was fairly successful. Hmm. All right. Well, let's check out what that translates to as we get into our scoring. Now, Alexis, some stuff happens. But how many people died? So we have three in our bounty count. But we also have um, some little fun little side pieces that are uh, <laughs> good to add, but not essentially in the body count. Yeah, the devil was offering a bogo, so you know. <laughs> like biscuits in the side of your chicken wing box. Exactly. Delicious sides. But Ryan, were there any animals among those bonus bodies? You know, when we get into the realm of Satanism, things can uh, escalate as far as the animal report is concerned. Uh, and here, fortunately, we are in the clear. Once again, it's been so nice. I can't even think of the last animal report that went poorly. So lovely. Well, don't say that. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's been a while. I'm, I'm happy it's been a while. But the next thing we get is going to be like, babe, three, pig in hell. It's already in the calendar. It doesn't matter what I say because superstition <laughs> is silly. Let's go ahead and make our way down to our scoring then. The House of the Devil from 2009. Was it a hacker or a slash? This movie, I appreciate everything that it did. I love the way it made me feel. I love how I felt like I was in the 80s. Um, at one point, it did get a little bit choppy. Um Victor was introduced and I was just kind of like, what's going on here? I did not feel like I was in the 80s. So I don't think it like completely immersed me. Just, you know, 
at certain parts, but I feel like all of the action, all of the gore, which I know is a lot of y- y'all's favorite um, part of this movie is the buildup. Unfortunately, I don't like that. I kind of like my excitement. I like my gore. I like my blood. I like everything, you know, intertwined throughout the entire story. It wasn't even a huge climax. Um, it was a climax then it was just uphill from there but it was just the you know casual stroll you know down a city block um for the first hour it was like a roller coaster but the drop was not worth it yes the drop the drop did not get your stomach all in knots like it normally does but i don't know i loved it for what it was um i love the characters in this movie um i just think the pacing was just so off for me that it's giving me hack vibes i knew it was coming i've already entered my predictions with the gore that we did get i i'm surprised in some ways but i know that you like it you like it spread out you don't want it all at once we we get it for me and this movie i'm very torn i'm having a very hard time and i had a very hard time as i was watching this movie i i found myself really caring about a character more than i normally do i i I know I've already said this, but genuinely, I usually don't care at all. <laughs> Unless it's like a puppy, <laughs> I don't care if these people die in these movies. Um, but like, they didn't, it's like they didn't try to make me care about her. I just cared. Like, she was just like a person I could relate to. I enjoyed being immersed into the 80s a lot in not a like romanticized way, but in a like genuine way that was done really well. And it's like, the things you want about 80s movies and then nothing from Chopping Mall. <laughs> That's basically how I feel about this. Like it gave me the feelings um, that you enjoy from the 80s and like got rid of some of the hateful things about filming during those times and some of the hateful effects and stuff like that. Um, but then like on the other hand, one, I don't love the subject of the story. And then two, I like I the ending all of the ending, to be fair, the pre-ending, the end-end, all of it. I'm just kind of like, eh, on. But then again, the characters. Basically, I feel like this movie was an incredible rough draft. And like, it just wasn't quite there. I'm going soft slash. Only because it made me... Oh, uh, nope. I'm taking it back. I'm going soft hack. It's a hack. I'm going <gasps> hack. As soon as I said it, I, yeah, I know. I couldn't feel it. I tried. <laughs> I tried real hard. I really enjoyed this movie. I love the drama of it all. I know. I really enjoyed this movie, but it's, I just, it's just, I'm not gonna, no, it's, it's, it's a hack. I too struggled with this movie, Ryan. So I am right there with you. Uh, it was a challenge. Join us. It was, yeah, it was a challenge trying to figure out how I felt about this. I will say when I was talking about getting bored in the beginning, I myself wasn't bored. I was almost bored, but I watched this with my mom who bores very easily. And she's kind of like Alexis where she needs like uh, some good action to keep her interested. But then a scene comes in this movie after a very long period of almost nothing, just vague development. And this scene like really like had my ears perk up and I was like, oh, okay, so it's this kind of movie. All right. And then we kind of go back into another lull and there's like a really long sequence where a character's just kind of bored around the house. And I was like, okay, we've all been bored around the house. We get it. Um, But then again, it ends with another really like impactful like exclamation point at the end. Um, I feel like ultimately this movie is kind of like, like when you do these 
vintage looking movies that are made in modern times. It reminds me of like when Urban Outfitters creates like a vintage quote unquote, like Rugrats t-shirt. And it's like, no, this was made in 2019. Like it is not that bad. No, no, no. Right. But it can be this. However, to me felt like, like a a similar vintage t-shirt that I found in like a thrift store because it felt like weathered and used and like authentic. And I think what this movie did really well is combine like the naivety and the aesthetic of an 80s movie with like the high impact gore and like uh, horror that my modern desensitized mind requires for a movie to be good. Uh, So it actually ended for me on the side of Slash. Uh, This is a fun watch. It's definitely a slow burn, um, but I find that the ending and the the moments of horror that we do get make the slow burn worthwhile. Things are falling into place. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see if I can push them further into place. This movie had very thoughtful pacing, so everything seemed very deliberate. And a it's honestly a film that takes its time with character development, with honestly a scene. It is okay with making you wait for movement. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed getting to know the characters. I enjoyed not rushing through. There's moments of suspense where literally, like you mentioned, Chris, it's just a handshake and it doesn't have to be done in a split second. You can take your time with the scene. You don't have to move the camera right away. So I I think the pacing was great. I mean, this film stuck with me to the point where I remembered basically everything that happened in the film, but I completely forgot the title because the title doesn't even do it justice. Honestly, it's like you could have named this something completely different and it wouldn't have mattered but the film itself kind of lasted in my mind. I do enjoy this genre somewhat, Ryan, usually as like sci-fi fantasy action kind of stuff, like end of days, like that kind of thing. I'm usually more into when it comes to horror, you have to really really nail it. And I think they did. I think they nailed the feeling of this genre and it's a slash for me. I'm surprised by that one. Adding a thousand. (laughs) Why are you surprised? Oh, it's just, you know, this good Catholic boy over here, okay? And I know I'm not the only one that isn't necessarily a fan of the Satanism parts of movies. Well, yeah. Because, so, like, one of my favorite horror movies, if I even had to pick one, this might be my favorite, is The Exorcist. Right. And that's definitely, like, right, you know, nail on the head there. That's that's this the inspiration, I think, for a lot of anything to do demon or or, or devil related, you know, in, in any film that came after it. And I love it. I could go rewatch it now, and it's it's just so exciting. But I love these kinds of films. But think about it, though. Like, all the crazy-looking gargoyles and things, you got religious people to thank for that. So, you know, if you is anyone that enjoys the genre, it's people who understand that all the crap we're seeing, it's all BS, but it's just kind of fun to indulge ourselves a little bit. It, with, like, something like The Exorcism, I agree. But I don't know. Usually it just doesn't hit for me. It's okay. I'll be on. I'll be out here with me and Alexis hanging out, just us together, alone. <laughs> it's been us for a while. Watch Chris hack this movie. So let's be clear here. I know we're divided right now, but this movie is ambitious. Uh, it's a love letter to horror and '80s filmmaking, and normally that's the kind of thing that I really enjoy. Yeah, I feel like the reboot of Halloween that we got in 2018 was a love letter to that franchise so much to the point where he even honored the bad movies in that franchise. Right? Like I love when. When people go in to create a piece of art that honors people who love it too. And it's made with love. It tries really hard to immerse you in that decade. And again, you know, we've talked about that a lot. It performs really well in that regard. The pre-end is a problem for me though. And 
it really leaves a bad enough taste in my mouth that it completely guts the high I had on this movie prior to that. And it gives me a lot of conflict. Ultimately, it's a slash, but it's only a slash because of the two characters, two main characters that we have. If it weren't for them and the voyeuristic approach to like the filmmaking in this movie as we see their stories play out, it wouldn't have been a slash for me. It has excellent pacing. I love the slow burn in the way it's approached in this movie. And apart from lighting and a stylistic choice in the pre-end, it has incredible cinematography, so I ain't mad at it. And with that, The House of the Devil from 2009 has three slashes and two hacks. We got some stuff to talk about here. This movie is available on Shudder, so check it out this Halloween and join us in the second half so we can actually have some fun with it. We'll see you in a bit. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Is your geriatric family member a handful? Do you need a little help keeping your Nana safe and content when you need a night out in the town? Or do you need to lure in a young, naive college girl for your satanic ritual on the eve of a lunar eclipse? Download Gray Hair Care today and find yourself a companion for Mother. Gray Hair Care is the premier elderly care crowdsourcing service with apps for every major platform. Use promo code HackerSlash at sign up to get one free certified virgin for your babysitting or satanic purposes. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for The House of the Devil, which has earned two hacks and three slashes. We have a lot to get to here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, we finally have some gore to talk about. Now, Alexis, what's the gore score for this movie? Although I said I wish there was more, I will go ahead for our listeners and let them know that it's actually kind of pretty high towards the end. Like, you just get a good 30 minutes just, like, of a gory, like, kill fest. And I think my favorite part about this gore is that, like, you get this, like, kind of the grainy sort of, like, 80s film, but then, like, the blood is so sharp in this movie. It's, like, so rich and um, tasty. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you went there. You, you went there, you gore lover. The way I was describing it was like a decadent piece of chocolate or something. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go there. You are a gore lover in every sense of the word, madam. <laughs> Truly. In a disturbing way. Does chocolate cake taste like pennies to you? Because I don't like the taste <laughs> of copper at all. Um, no, I, I like appreciate it. I just wish like the, that was my concern was like, I wish it was like not just jam packed in the last 30 minutes. I felt like it was just cr- kind of crunched in there and it was a little like intense for what it was. But um, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, Megan's shot to the head. I think that was just so violent and gruesome for us, especially it was so abrupt. I was not expecting that. What about you guys? Her shot to the head was a shot to my heart and it, it was painful. It was sh- the shocking moment that made my ex walk out on me like 10 years ago. And even now, like I, I found that that character had massive lesbian energy and I was really sad to see her go. Oh, for sure. Uh, that was the moment I was referring to in the pre-spoiler section about like that really moment that we all may, may, may have been thinking about. Um, but it really shocked me. And I was, I was surprised that it shocked me because the, the moment it happens, uh, we're introduced to a new character who's like this homeless looking guy. And I was like, is that Crispin from your next? If it is kind of shady vibes from him. Um, but then I, it was kind of okay. Cause he was like, Oh, I'll light your cigarette, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I actually like looked down at my iPad to like take some notes and I looked back up and then she was just shot in the face and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. So this movie lulled me into a false sense of security just to hit me with that. Um, so I was very satisfied with that kill and it was my favorite for sure. Yeah. I feel like 
is probably like all of our favorites, to be honest. Yeah. Mm, no. It's like it that had to come in at that moment or else honestly I would be tapped out of this movie because it it did have that slow burn and there's just a certain amount that you can take. And I, I was definitely like, all right, like what are we really doing here? And then he pops up and I was like, oh, okay, something's going to get weird, but you definitely don't expect what you get. And um, I, I think like once you've seen this one time, you'll lose that, that excitement excitement the feeling that comes from like that surprise there the sudden rush of death yeah my favorite goriness aside from just a kill was the bloodbath slip and slide that face when you actually see what happened to megan's face it's just ridiculous don't ask questions just slide through (laughs) yeah that was it was pretty fun i'm like no one just ate shit like at all yeah (laughs) and her dress just was like white and then at the end, it was just completely red, which I think was perfect. Like, when I just slipping, you know, sliding through blood and not turning red. Um, that was my favorite thing, aside from just the kill. Man, that, um, the, the fact that you mentioned that, I will never get out of my head. It was an interview with one of the police officers who responded to the Sharon Tate murders. And everybody describes their dress as being so bloody that you couldn't tell at first that her dress was white. So when I saw that, I immediately thought to that. And that puts me back into that like era of like tension in the country. Yeah, I definitely got some ready or not vibes for sure on that one. I would love to just add to that moment because that was actually a part of the movie where I was like, mm. because in that scene, uh, she's in this like little white dress and covered in blood uh, but it's like splattered and you can still see some of the white and then it cuts to her and the dress is actually fully red like completely saturated you can't see any white cuts back again and it's back to the splattered and at first i was like oh that's a continuity thing my mind always picks up out on those but then i was like but did they intentionally make a continuity error to really add to the 80s vibe I mean, that is on brand, honestly. That's one of those things that usually stands out. <laughs> like, are they walking through the door or did they just now walk through the door? Because it never makes sense in 80s movies. Yeah. So maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I was like, I, I, I could see them having done this intentionally because I felt like it was really obvious to, to miss something like that. Mac was your favorite kill. Also, Megan's head getting blown off. Of course it was. And it was such a crazy moment. It was kind of like a Scorsese thing where in certain Scorsese films, there are certain shots to the head from across the room that are very surprising to many viewers. I'm not trying to spoil anything because it happens in a ton of his films, but it's just, it, it is so sudden and you're not really expecting up to that point. Like you guys have mentioned, which is great, but I love the dialogue that preceded it. Cause of course you're like, this is creepy and he's going to be bad. And is he going to chase her? Is he going to try to stab her? And it's like, Oh, you're not the babysitter. Bam. Instantaneously head blown through the back. And then steals her cigarette. Like what? Yeah, he didn't want that to go to waste because he was probably out of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, so. probably. I loved his death scene because it was so quick. Uh, he was just dispatched very quickly. She got a great swipe at him. And that fury in her eyes, I just felt like it was that click of a character who's like really just stepping it up. She's been paranoid this whole time. Like she went from innocence to paranoia. And now she's like taking matters into her own hands. And uh, I was quite satisfied by seeing the guy with the gun go with a knife. He brought a gun to a knife fight. He got fucking wrecked. That is satisfying. I know Ryan is our sharpshooter, but I am uh, voting Samantha for our uh, sharp slicer. 
Uh, Ooh, <laughs> for sure. She was good with that knife. Literally one. I was like, man, I wish I was that good at things. <laughs> I'm not so sure about walking around a stranger's house with a knife for like an hour. Um, but when it came in to the point where she needed it, she had it and used it well. So that was great. But the previous parts, I was like, Did you just uh, in a stranger's house with a knife in your hand. It's very strange, very strange behavior. I mean, who's to say that is strange behavior? You know, she's just uh, looking out for her. She used it to cut some pizza, then put it down when the time came. I don't blame her. She was seeing some weird shit in that house. But when we're talking about Megan's death and him stealing the cigarette, that actually had one of my favorite shots of the movie. Not necessarily a favorite scene, but it was just the way this camera is tilted uh, tilted at like a Dutch angle. And then it follows him picking up the cigarette and then just slowly zooms in on his face. And it's very specific that... They're using zooms and not actually pushing with dollies or like pushing the camera forward. So it changes like your your perce- your perception of how compressed the background is. It was just this really great shot that felt super dramatic, more dramatic than it probably needed to be. But beyond that, I think some of my favorite scenes were actually anything with Megan in it. I love the scene at the pizza place when, you know, they're just talking about Samantha's financial situation. And I loved Megan's concern uh, when they show up at the house and she's like gripping her knee when he asked her to speak to her alone in another room. I feel like any scene she was in, she just infinitely made better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But my favorite scenes were Samantha wandering around the house. And um, there were quite a few different little tiny bits. Um, her climbing up the stairs, like just these cool scenes with a lot of shadows, a lot of um, lighting changes and and just, you know, the curiosity, I guess it was going on that was, you know, at risk of being boring to some people. Um, it was really, uh, there were just little nuggets in there that I just enjoyed so much. And they just, I don't know, made me attached to this movie and this character for some reason. I'm with you right there, Ryan. One of my favorite scenes was actually when Megan's just alone in the house. Um, And it's a moment where she starts like rummaging through their closet. Uh, And I liked it because it actually brought up a conversation between me and my mom that I was watching it with. And I was like, she was like, oh, you just go through people's stuff. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. Uh, And then it made me wonder, like, when you're in this is my question for everybody here. When you're in somebody else's house alone, do you or do you not rifle through their things? You do. Absolutely not. Oh, definitely not. What about a girl you're like girl you stayed over no. the night or something? If there's something that she wants me to sh- see, she'll show me. I don't know. I'm all up for like, do they have more than one shampoo conditioner? Like, what if I need <laughs> yeah. to wash my hair one night? Oh no! Oh my gosh! I don't look through it. I'm just like pull the curtain back. So no. wait, you're making sure they have extra. You don't even care like which shampoo and conditioner it is. You're like, do they have another bottle? Okay, for me? hold on. I I will say the only thing I'm rummaging through is if I'm dating someone for like. An extended amount of time, but it's not new, but it's not old. And you want to know if there's other girls shit around? No. Uh, no, no, no. There's the paranoia. Oh, God. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. If there's something else going on, that's not how I want to find out about it. Sorry. I've been in really shitty ass relationships. Right. So I, I want to, I want to, I want them to feel guilty is what I want. <laughs> so guilty to the point where they want to bring it up and, and expose themselves. Catholic guilt almost. <laughs> exactly. If you find out about it sooner, you hold on to it. You keep it in a little bit and you hold it against them in a subtle way so that they. They give it away themselves. Oh, you're also a psychopath. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. that's the worst. 
this took a turn down like infidelity road. I'm talking more like you're a babysitter in a stranger's house. That's when I will always go through your drawers specifically to find like, you know, the dildos, the sex toys, any of the good stuff. No, you'll never babysit my house. No, never. (laughs) There's two things that cause this feeling in me. And it is one destruction of things that need not be destructed. So if, if in a movie, what was the movie mother where they just ruin everything in the house? It makes me feel so uneasy. And I feel the same way about people touching my things. Like I have a hippie brother. Yeah, I have a hippie brother that comes into your, he'll just come into your room and he'll just touch like stuff and like pick stuff oh, yeah, up I, and look I at it. I hate that. I hate that And I'm shit. like, why are you touching the book that I haven't touched in four years? No one asked you to touch that. I hate when people touch my things. And if I don't know that they're touching them, it's even worse because I think it's happening. But for me, I'm always so meticulous about it, you know? Like, you will never know that I was rummaging through your drawers. Well, now we all will know. Oh, yeah. Anyone I've ever babysat for, I went through your drawers and your things. I put them back exactly how they were. But, you know, I like to get that inside glimpse into people's lives. I think it adds more color. Yeah, you're also a sociopath. (laughs) I don't believe in rummaging through people's things. Like, I bought a toiletry kit. Left it at my girlfriend's house who still lives in Virginia. I went to go take a shower over there. And at first glance, I didn't see it. And I didn't even want to move the stuff around in the cabinet enough to find it. I was like, hey, I don't want you to think I'm digging through your shit here. I just can't find this thing I left here. I'm very much a fan of like respecting privacy. Wow. I sound like a shithead. No. You don't. Because <laughs> I'm just so happy you're a normal scene person like me. And you're welcome in my home anytime. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. You too. You too. But I'm not allowed. I'm just checking to see what kind of conditioner you got, girl. I don't know, man. (laughs) Alexis, we're not dating, so I'm not worried about you. Paris can't come (laughs) in my house. (laughs) So wait, you're that person in like 90s sitcoms who goes in and looks in the medicine cabinet. Yes, that's just me. Oh, absolutely. Just to see. Oh, y'all are on an episode of Seinfeld. I'll never steal from anyone's house. I just want to look to see because you like the way people keep their homes and like what's in their drawers specifically is like like a real it's like a side of them that you don't really get to see and you just like take a peek and you're like oh okay and then you put it back because you're judgy yeah I like boundaries you're not supposed to see that see I wouldn't mind if somebody did it in my house because I wouldn't know you guys are sketchy I don't know it's just weird you don't leave the door open to your house so people can look in and see what books you got in your shelf yeah welcome to the episode of Hacker Slash where our trust is broken amongst each other (laughs) I only trust Chris thanks love you. She looked at me, though, because she does trust me, but she doesn't want to say it. I trust you, but not in my home. <laughs> so wait a second. This is That part of the movie actually kind of annoyed me because of that activity of like the rifling through things and looking into the basement. But then I had to like balance it in my brain of like, if I'm in a strange person's house in the middle of nowhere, like I'm probably also going to scope things out. I want to get a layout of the, the house and figure out like, where am I inside of this house exactly? Like who else might be here? What? Are there any exits I could, you know, get out of? Or are there any weapons I need to be aware of? But, you know, it's just, I had to balance that in my brain where it's like annoying, stop doing that. But at the same time, oh, that's brilliant. Yes. But to be fair, the right thing to do is ask to be shown around while there's the people that own the house there mm-hmm. because there's someone else in the house. Fair. And I can understand the like roaming around if you know you're home alone. That's a, I think a different thing where I would be comfortable like, Hey, let me let me figure out like what are things upstairs like? What is this? But knowing that someone else is there is like so awkward. Like, what if you're just like she's deep in these people's closet? Please don't ever go deep in my closet like this. I don't know what's been in there. Yeah, especially if you're home. Yeah. What if this wasn't what it became and a grandma just walks out and is like, "What are you doing in my closet?" Grandma almost came out in this. Um, yeah, she did. <laughs> 
So it's funny you you're going there because what if you walked in and then um you were you saw someone's sacrificial table. So <laughs> Yeah, great question. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was my favorite scene. I think that I like that scene because it was just like super intense because you're riding off this like flashing. And I was just like, what's going on? And it was flashing and it stops. And then it so abruptly stops that I'm kind of like ajarred. And then the music goes and you're just like, oh my gosh, damn, she's on a pentagram. It was just like very intense for me. And like, I just love that visual aspect because I feel like I was waiting for that kind of action throughout the entire movie. And I finally got it an hour and 15 minutes in. (laughs) I feel kind of the opposite. (laughs) <laughs> For me, visually, all of my favorite parts were before that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, Ryan, same. Everything prior to the pentagram, that's what I enjoyed. That was the visual element that was successful for me. And then afterwards, I hated the flashing. I didn't care about that creepy, scary face with the scraggly hair. And like, just overall, it was it was just a lot of like, a lot going on at the end that I just didn't care about. I enjoyed the chase scenes at the end. We got a lot of that that was fun and... Um, our boy, Mr. Mr. Ullman, really trying to be a friendly, friendly creep, uh, a friendly cr- Satanist creep to this poor girl. He was just like, no, 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 come back. You just don't understand. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're literally killing me. Let's just talk about it, you crazy, hysterical woman. Yeah, well, I don't understand. What's wrong? Everything's fine. Don't you like my house? Anyway, yeah, it, it, for me, like, it, it's hard to even identify a specific thing. I just really love what they did shooting this like an 80s film, as corny as that sounds, or as cliche as that sounds at this point okay so maybe i'm the weird one here visually and like scene wise because my favorite scenes were actually the ones without the creepiness going on they were in the beginning of the movie where we're building this character up we're getting to know her and like learn her life and figure out you know what her needs are and where she's headed and stuff so i love the scene where she's actually on the phone on the payphone specifically and we see how creepy this potential job is going to be. And yet she decides like, I'm trying to pay that rent though. Have you ever had $84 in your account though? Cause you, I can really, have you ever babysat though? And the man was a part of it. I've never like when every time I babysat, the husband does not take me home. Does not, it no. has nothing a part of this transaction. Yeah. Like that's because you've never babysat for Satanist. <laughs> it's an important part of that. And you've never babysat in porn apparently either. <laughs> oh, that too. <laughs> Every time I babysat, the husband always takes me home. Okay. There's extra money involved, though. Mac. Anyway, visually, those were also my favorite scenes because the lighting was fantastic. Like, we're in the pizza parlor, and I just felt like I was in the pizza parlor having a discussion between these two friends. And I didn't feel like, oh, we're watching a movie where people happen to be getting some pizza that tastes gross, apparently. Apparently, all the pizza in this movie is disgusting. What's Dude, up with that? That was the saddest part is they all had so much bad pizza. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was going to be like a plot point, but then it wasn't. Well, she got drugged by the pizza, so. But that first pizza, what was the excuse for that first pizza that was shitty? <laughs> College campus pizza. <laughs> it just shows that, you know, uh, Megan is a woman who has fine taste. That's all. And we'll like, grease off her fingers. Chris really has a love affair with Megan. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh my gosh, let me tell you how much I adored her. I'll tell you in a bit. Continue, Mac. Well, so visually, I really liked those scenes kind of building up because everything was like out in the daylight. Things were well lit. You did get that bit of film grain though. So you felt like it was aged like the appropriate amount. It didn't feel, okay, like Alexis mentioned, somebody applied a filter to this and now it's in the 1980s somehow. We have the Instagram effect. No, it legitimately feels like, 
we're watching a, a period piece. You know, we're, we're watching a film that's not only set in the time, but it's also kind of shot in that time, thankfully, based on the way that they actually shot it. But it, it felt like we're living with the characters. So visually, just like the lighting that they chose, the, um, the color grading that they went with, it felt more realistic to me, almost documentary t- uh, style. Yeah. I mean, that's the tactic, though. The shots that we get of her are specifically angled to look as though you are looking at her in on that set, right? This reminded me a lot of the original Black Christmas, both in its cinematography and in its final girl, right? She reminds me so much of someone who would like gel really well with Jess in that movie. I feel like there's a little subtext here of everybody hating on the ritual scene or at least liking other parts more visually. It's full text, not subtext. (laughs) There we go. My favorite visual element was actually the ritual itself. Uh, When we had that like creepy grandma slash mother character performing the ritual, like first of all, she like slit her wrist like long ways, like the the way that you do when you want to kill yourself. So I was like, oh, bold move. Okay, we're putting it all into this ritual. And then she pours it into this like really well-crafted prop, which is like this like animal skull with these horns, and then pours it into her mouth out of like the mouth of the skull. And I was like, that is a nice prop that I would like to have in my home. Um, I would too. We could do um, beer bongs out of it. Yeah, you can do so much with something like that. Like with the horns as the handles, I was like, this is cute. I like this. That is disturbing. And uh, again, another reason why I want no part of this home uh, situation with you. (laughs) It's interesting that you bring that up. So I've given a lot of high praise to the cinematography, but I think one of the movie's greatest heroes and what eventually becomes its weakness at one point is its lighting. It's gotten this like incredible mastery of shadows inside the house and it helps build all that paranoia, right? But what it does best is it gets the perfect background for the classic babysitter in an unfamiliar house vibe. So we have Halloween. Black Christmas is not a babysitter movie, but there's a stranger in the house and that feels similar. We had the original one, A Stranger Calls, and that makes prime material for get a big house, put some shadows everywhere. You'll feel like things are in the shadows. But this movie shoots itself in the foot with that strobing effect. And it was actually the worst part of the movie for me. So the strobing for the moon, fine. That's cool. It got weird with the candle. And then it got bad with a bright white light when she's on the table. You have this like super dark basement area with these really like nice warm candles. But then there are these seemingly daylight balanced lights. And yeah, there's something to be said about having contrast. Like you have like this stark, you know, depiction of white light in a cross in a dark room. But what this does is bump that contrast so high that it stops looking to me like an 80s film. It looks like a gritty early 2000s film that's just trying to throw grain on something and bump up sharpness and definition to make it look intense. And that single handedly ruined the tension of that movie for me completely. It was like a big deflation. I feel that, Chris. I kind of felt the same way at first. And then I was like, maybe they're just going for that like shitty lighting effect that they had in a lot of older movies. So I was like, I'll let it slide because maybe it's the intent. You can't be that good at so many things and then just fuck it all away like that. It's just ugh. like that. Even the shadows when she's playing pool, even little moments like that were really solid. So these white lights get, get the hell out of here. I'm glad you brought up the pool scene too, Chris, because that was actually my worst part of the movie. Um, I mentioned before that there's a lot of like lulls in this. The first is like the initial buildup, but then you get the Megan kill, which is like, oh, okay, here we go. But then you kind of like fall back into like a, a another lull. And 
like the montage where she's like listening to her Walkman and like dancing around the house. I was like, okay, this is cute. I get it. Like she's alone in this house and bored, except I guess pretending there's not an old lady upstairs. Um, but then it went on for a little too long and I was like, okay, now I'm bored with you. Is this what you wanted? Because you got it. Perhaps mine is semi-related, but my least favorite part was how long it took for the fake pizza to be delivered. Oh, it was forever. It was because I was sitting there thinking about it like that pizza is supposed to be there in 30 minutes and this is seven hours. To so, be fair, Victor probably killed him. That's true. Or he like went to the you know the pizza shop and he got some pizza. Yeah, and this is like a thing they do. Yeah. Right. Who, I don't know where he got it. They had to take extra time to drug the pizza. That's that's where the extra time you know came in, maybe. But it did it. That part just seemed like forever for me. The other parts, waiting around the house, that was that was fine. But like specifically, I don't know why my brain just sat there thinking like pizzas on the way, pizzas on the way. Maybe because I'm always down for pizza, but. That just took a little long. Shout out to your boy answering the phone. Pizza, pizza, what you eating? <laughs> <laughs> that boy sounded exactly like Mac. I heard it and I was like, this sounds like a Mac sponsor. That's absolutely not how I would answer the phone at a pizza place. And I know this because I worked at a pizza place at one point. That's definitely not how you answer the phone. Oh, so you didn't work at Little Caesars? I did not. Thank goodness. I worked at a at a small business and it was awesome for the three months I was there. And then I'm thankful I never did that ever again. I think the best part for me would be... Like, I've talked about how much I like the blood when we talked about gore. But, like, I just love this, like, look of Samantha, like, on with this. I know we talked about it before, but just this, like, the blood on her. Like, it's just giving me all these vibes. And I think because you guys paid attention to her character um, a lot more than I did, especially in the beginning. So, for me, that was, like, a pivotal point, uh, like, where she, you know, when she escapes the pentagram and I'm like okay she's like not a weak person like she's not like not that I thought she was in the beginning but like I said I was more like when's the action coming when's the action coming when's the where where are the devil worshippers where's the cult where's all this where's all these stuff I thought I was promised in the first little snippet but um I think when I see her and I it just reminds me and I know this film came before ready or not but in our sequence of movies ready or not was reviewed before this um but I just get that like you know badass girl feeling and she did the smartest thing and she grabbed that freaking gun and I give her all the props for that so but I just think like that was like my favorite part of the movie was just seeing her at least at the end unfortunately I should have paid more attention to her characterization and like development like before this yeah for I mean for me I'm gonna go into my best part which is gonna be repetitive here and it's Samantha and it's because they didn't try it wasn't in like they weren't trying to make me care like I hate a movie that's like hey look at this like person they're like cool and they could do stuff or you should feel bad for this person like I don't want any of that and she was just like living her life doing her thing trying to pay bills, trying to move out of this trash dorm room with this horrible looking roommate or behaving roommate. (laughs) So I just loved her. And from there, I could take that straight into our characters where I would like to note that Victor was the worst character in this movie. He like didn't do anything for me. I don't know. He was just lame to me. Everyone else was so good. Mr. Ullman, I loved. Mrs. Ullman, I loved. I do think meeting them would have been a little bit cooler if we didn't have like the Satanism stuff at the beginning of this movie where we didn't really know because obviously we kind of knew what she was walking into in some way. Didn't know how, but I loved all the characters except Victor. He was just so meh and just like, I don't know, he was kind of like a hitman that like we didn't even need in the movie, honestly. Aside, we did need that kill, but... 
Yeah, and I think when he does that kill, the like lighting for me, that's when it just I, I was totally taken out of the eighties, so I was kind of like thrown away by him. Yeah. But I do like Mr. Ullman a lot. I think he gives you this vibe where you're like he's creepy and charming and charming and i kind of feel bad for him if he you know i don't know there's just like some empathy like that i had for him alexis your your big little heart we gotta work on some (laughs) stuff with you you we actually do honestly i love old people so much and he just seemed like a wise old man and creepy, which I understand, you know. Yeah, like he didn't want to do the rituals, he but he had to. Like yeah. those kind of people. Yeah. I don't <laughs> believe that, but he was really good at making that vibe. Yeah, I don't believe that either. I would like to take some time to recognize Mrs. Allman, also known as Vivian, the lady of the house. Uh, when we were introduced to that character, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was down in the basement looking for my furs. And I was like, that's the energy I want to embody when I'm an old woman. But I actually wrote down that furs quote because I was like, that's an iconic thing to say to somebody when you when they're in your house. And then later when she finds the furs in the closet and she's like, oh, I thought she said the furs were in the basement. She took the words right out of my mouth because I was like, mm, those furs aren't in the basement, Vivian. Do you really think Vivian is a lady to only have closet furs and that she doesn't have a surplus of furs in the basement? And that was my next thought. I was like, well, it's probably the <laughs> other furs that she has downstairs. Um, but yeah, then the wig snatch happened and she just snatches herself bald with those few little scraggly hairs. And I was like, okay, Vivian, you don't give a fuck about these airs you're putting on. You are here to do some Satanistic shit. And I love it. She was mesmerized. Do you think she was cutting her hair in the bathtub? Is that what was happening? Where all that hair came from? I think she's been bald. She was probably just shaping her wig. Yeah. <laughs> she was styling one of the wigs. I forgot about the hairs. Because it was um, pointless. <laughs> the characters were, were really brilliant. And I think that's what makes this the movie that it is. It's, it's all about the characters. It's all about their dialogue and their actions. It's not so much about the the threat that we ultimately get to at the end. It's about the people that lead us there. And that's where they found their success is, is with their characters. And, you know, Victor is like the the typical kind of henchman missing a personality. And we could have gotten a little bit more out of him, I think. But I'm glad that at least we didn't get more and it was bad. I'm glad it was just like, here's here's all you need to see from from the henchmen. But the rest of them just like absolutely brilliant. Like Samantha, again, Ryan related to Samantha and like, felt her as a human being, you know, from one to the other. That's that's great. Mr. Ullman, like Tom Noonan, amazing job. I'm not sure if he's listening to the podcast. Obviously a friend of the pod, but <laughs> just kidding. One day. Wonderful, wonderful performance, but like that handshake, it's not limp. It's not weak. It's like very deliberate where it's like, I'm like holding your hand and this is like a power move and so great. And also manages to not be sexually predatory. It's a very specific grip. Right. And you get that feeling, though, from a lot of like, you know, the creepy older guys, especially in like Satanism involved movies, where it's like always this feeling like from the the devil's advocate, right, where Al Pacino is like, it's obviously a lot of sexual energy going on there. I mean, he's also supposed to be like the devil and all that. But in, in this movie, we don't have to worry about that added complication. It's just like there are plans and he's not like hiding them from her he's not like i'm gonna do so many messed up stuff you know things to you later and i'm just gonna try to hide it he's like genuinely thinking the character at least like you are going to be happy you're a part of this at the end of everything yeah i do believe he believes that um so speaking of the end how do we all feel about the end end Uh, because for me like in the hospital i enjoy it 
for what it is, it's better than what it would have been without it. I just wish she opened her eyes. I, I really wish, because then the nurse is touching her stomach. And I was like, did anyone see that she had gangrene on her stomach? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just wish it would have made so much more of an effect if she had opened her eyes, but I couldn't tell. I enjoyed the lingering with before her waking up because it's like, we know what's happening and she doesn't even realize it yet. She's not aware that she's dead. She shot herself in the fucking head. And she thinks she killed herself. I loved that part. She doesn't, she's not aware that she's alive and she's not aware that she's pregnant with the devil's seed. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I like being suspended in this moment because it's like, there's trauma that we have yet to see unfold, but we're not going to like exploit it any further than we already have. Yeah. I think I'm on like Alexis's boat where there was like too much questioning going on once we got to the end before the the um hospital scene like everything that was happening and like obviously we saw this whole ritual and then she's like running and then there was like one millisecond where we saw something happening on her stomach and didn't have any idea what was going on so if we didn't have this end bit in the hospital it wouldn't have even been a question for me if it was mm-hmm. a hack or not because i was like I don't understand what's going on and I mostly don't care. So you really need to do one or the other. I need to care or I need to know. You know what, Ryan, you're right. I think it is a necessary evil-ish kind of thing, right? But it's wild to me to see all of that play out and it still feel like the same movie that we started with. It's just a wild juxtaposition to me. And I know I've sung Megan's praises a lot, but the whole cast of characters, I think even Victor was good at what he was intended to be. The Ullman's not hiding anything, just like Max said. But there are two quotes that that stood out to me. And they came from Megan, but they don't work for Megan if Sam wasn't who she was. And it was this banter back and forth as they're on their way. And uh, Megan's like, normal people do not pull the kind of stuff that those people pulled with you today. And then later she says... Okay, well, I mean, they live all the way out here. They must be normal enough to be able to afford this and have jobs. And Megan retorts, you think having money makes you normal? It's just these beautiful little quips from her that add depth to a character. You would expect to be shallow because she's portrayed as like the blonde friend who is licking grease off her fingers and just chowing down on pizza while Samantha has real financial problems to to unpack. I think that Megan probably uh, comes from money in a way because she is like, you know, do I need to call my dad? Like, let's call your dad for 300 bucks for your friend in college is not the smallest feat. So I'm thinking that her line about do you think you know, having money means you're normal is kind of related to her family as well, probably. Oh, absolutely. I think when you want to get to know Megan, you just look at the hard candy scene and that tells you a lot. <laughs> that first sample of the candy, it's gross. Ew, I thought she was going to stuff it into the couch. No, she put it in a little piece of paper and then put it in her purse. Like she's like, I'm not going to be rude about it. And then she goes in for another piece and this one was okay. And then takes another piece of the road. <laughs> Maybe this is just me. And I think Slumber Party Massacre has had such a big influence on me in this way. If you put any woman in a baseball tee with like feathered hair, I'm assuming she's a lesbian like Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, for sure. That's an iconic lesbian dog whistle. I know we've said a lot so far. And honestly, there is still a lot left to say about this movie. But I think the biggest statement is this. Would you ever watch it again? No. Yeah, I would not be mad if I ended up watching it again, but I wouldn't uh, try to or want to. Okay, that sounds... Like, if someone put it on, I'd be like, all right, cool, no big deal. I'm down, but I'm not going to put it on. I can't think of a circumstance where someone... Chris. (laughs) 
I actually probably would watch this movie again um, for a couple specific reasons. One, I don't remember this handshake you guys keep talking about. So for me, I guess it wasn't the big moment it was for everyone else. Um, But also in the end credits, which I like to watch when they're like vintage styled because it's just fun to look at, uh, there's specifically two characters credited as Demon and Blue Demon. And I, for the life of me, cannot tell you who the fuck those characters were, when they were on the screen, or what they did. So I would love to go back and try to look for those characters. I was also curious about that. Also, I thought that the landlord was going to be the demon. <laughs> when this movie started, I was like, oh, she's the killer. Oh, she yeah. She just like she disappeared. <laughs> nope. She's just a real nice lady. I think this has a solid rewatch value, personally, as I have rewatched it unknowingly, because I didn't even realize that I had watched it the first time. <laughs> But watching it a second time, I wasn't upset at that fact. And I'm kind of happy I did. You know, some small details I missed out the first go around. So I don't think it's a movie that you're going to rewatch every Halloween or anything. But I think it's one of those where if you, you know, if you pick it up every like five to 10 years, you'll, you'll be okay. You know, it's, you're going to, you're going to pick up some, some stuff that you missed out the first time. I wonder if some of those things that you would pick up a, a second time that you did on the first time are going to make their way into your, uh, to your factor fiction there, buddy. Well, there's only one way to find out. Let's jump right into Factor Fiction. Number one, as mentioned in the beginning of this film, this story is based on a real-life, nearly fatal attempt at a satanic ritual performed on a college-age babysitter in suburban Pennsylvania in 1979. Fiction. Fact. Fact. I want that to be true. But it's fiction. However, the film is based on, of course, satanic panic, which was very much a real cultural phenomenon. Thanks, Rosemary. (laughs) Most satanic ritual based on a true story, things are all baloney. Right. It was a really effective method of getting that feeling that people got back in the 80s to viewers in 2009. Number two, although this film may feel quite slow and long to some, Paris and Alexis, it was (laughs) shot in only uh, less than three weeks. Fiction. Yeah, I'll go fiction on that. I'm going to say fact. There were like four different locations. I think they could do that in three weeks. Yeah, it was shot in somewhere around uh, 18 days. So this was a fact. Wowzer. And our final number three here, when the fake pizza guy asks Samantha if she wants extra anchovies, he's making a subtle reference to delivering the uh, old uh, late night eggplant. I'm sorry. <laughs> this goes with our theme. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, you want the extra anchovies? He asked that question. He's asking, you want something a little bit extra, a little Italian sausage? He's lying. Fiction. What does anchovies have to do with anything? Because no one asked for it. I actually love anchovies on pizza, but that's just me. <laughs> it's like their code for like, do you want the dick? I don't think that's real. I don't think that's true either. I feel like the Omens are just into anchovies because they're demons, worshippers. I don't even know what they are, honestly. <laughs> Old people like anchovies. Wow. Anchovies are delicious. Okay. I love anchovies. I stand by what I said. All right. So is everybody going fiction on this? Yep. It's a fact. So good old McDreamy actually delivered the uh, extra loving in the 1989 film Loverboy. So this is actually a legit cultural nod to a movie. Did he, in that movie, they said, do you want anchovies? That was the code for the uh, housewife wanted a little bit extra. Oh my gosh. Yikes. Mrs. Ullman. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's the fact of fiction. Wait, so the fact of fiction doesn't include the information about the blue demon? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> the blue demon shall always be a mystery. Some say he hasn't been figured out to this day. Damn it. I'm sorry that you have blue balls with a blue <laughs> <laughs> You should have asked for extra anchovies. Could have, should have, would have, but didn't. And there you have it, folks. The House of the Devil may be regarded highly as an indie film, but it has not escaped our show unscathed. It actually racked up two hacks on its way to three slashes. 
there's so much left to say about this movie, just like Ryan offered in our Hacker Slash Hotline earlier about Creepshow. There's bound to be stuff we don't know, so please share the knowledge with us. Keep in mind, there's a number of ways you can reach out to us, starting with our website, hackerslash.com. And on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're also named Ryan and want to reach out to us once again, a third Ryan, you can hit us up at our Hacker Slash Hotline. The number is 757-606-0128. You can text us, call us, leave us a voicemail, or a cool audio message like we heard before. If you're currently in the middle of a uh, satanic ritual and you can't find the right YouTube video to guide you through the rest, send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. And if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, consider becoming one of our patrons. You can visit patreon.com slash hackerslash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. Perks like The Rewind, where we revisit films from our archived episodes with new perspective from our current team. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.